0: Hey everybody, you're listening to The Rock Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show.
1: This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now.
0: This podcast is about rock bondage. Rock bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training. And listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rock before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rock Podcast.
1: We've been rope partners for five years. Fox is the rigger and Maya is the bottom. We live in Bangkok and love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by Friction Live. Friction Live offers a variety of kink classes, mostly centered around rope and things you can do to complement your rope. You can follow along the class from pretty much anywhere in the world as long as you have an internet connection. And you can do that either live as the class is happening or view a recording of the class in the two weeks following the date. Check them out on frictionlive.ca.
0: So today, folks, we're doing an episode on getting the most out of watching rope performances.
1: Yes, Maya, we are. And I guess we should start by explaining what a rope performance is, because some of our listeners might not have encountered that yet.
0: Okay, so tell us about that. I
1: would say, and I realize that's a bit subjective (laughs) as a definition, but... Then all definitions in the rope world seem to be. Uh, I would call something a performance if it's rope that is being done primarily for the benefit of an audience, as opposed to being done primarily for the benefit of the person tying and the person being tied.
0: Okay, and it's a form of entertainment for the people who are watching.
1: Absolutely. It's a show, it's a spectacle, and it's really designed with the audience in mind. Contrast that with say, we're playing at a play party together and some people are watching us, which used to happen a lot before COVID. But the mindset is that it's you and I playing together for our pleasure. And then there happens to be onlookers. But we are not designing the whole rope interaction for their pleasure. We're primarily there for our pleasure, right?
0: Yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds fair. And we've watched quite a lot of rope performances, right? We,
1: we have. Well, it, it happens, Maya, that I think we, we're quite into rope, you and I. I've
0: heard that about
1: <laughs> us. Maybe the listeners caught on to that by now. Uh, we have watched a lot of rope performances. We have watched, um, roadflicks which shows some uh, Japanese media uh, as a streaming service and we've seen um, Japanese performances from happening bars. We have seen adult Japanese movies that contain rope performance. We have also recently watched the Nuit des Cordes event that was uh, broadcast online this year due to COVID and that was super interesting. That was like uh, maybe 20 hours of rope performance, something yeah. like. It was yeah. very impressive and, and a lot of very, very good uh, rope couples or triples performing there. Uh, there's some rope performance available on YouTube, on Vimeo, and of course on FetLife as well, if you have the ability to view videos on FetLife.
0: Yeah, so we have watched probably hundreds of hours now of it, and we've also taken a class about performing uh, because we were interested in um, understanding performance better from the performance view.
1: Yeah, and I think that was very useful for us, and in fact if the listeners are interested in um, getting that class that teaches you to perform both as a rigor and also as a rope bottom, or a model in this case maybe. You can find that video in the tutorials that are available through RobPodcast.com, And if you buy access to them, we will get a little bit of your support.
0: And the more we watch, the more you and I talk about what it is that engages us uh, when we watch a performance or what performances really hook us and which ones we can kind of take or leave.
1: Yeah, and I find that subject so fascinating because it's kind of hard to put your finger on it. Like sometimes you see a performance, it really grabs you, and sometimes it doesn't. And I kind of want to dissect that a bit and break it down and try to understand what makes me or doesn't make me react as an audience.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um And honestly, as a psychologist and a writer, both of those things and perspectives when I watch a performance really... um give me different viewpoints on it. So it's really interesting for us to discuss. And we thought, dear listeners, that we would ask you what engages you at the end of the episode so you can answer that question in the podcast comments. Mm,
1: Yeah, because it's such a highly subjective topic and what one person likes will usually not be what another person likes.
0: Mm. So let's start with the context. So Uh if we are watching a performance, tell us about the context and what we might look for to engage us there.
1: First of all, the performance will have a location and that can be in a bar, that can be in a nightclub, that can be at a party, that can be on a stage. There's going to be a certain setup. Uh, There might be some kind of backdrop or not, and it will be indoors or outdoors. It will be lit in a certain way. And all of that is going to be a big part of the mood, the starting mood of the performance. Right, Maya?
0: Right. Um, and even the frame or the type of way that the person is tying can add to that.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: the context also involves the audience. So sometimes the type of event itself can be interesting. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is we watch a lot of performances on video yeah. um, because COVID and also we live in Thailand. So there's not a lot of performances here, although we do. go. We, to we've the- seen a few, including <laughs> one in a noodle shop. Yeah, we do. We do go to any performance we can, um, so it's quite interesting when you're watching a video. You don't know the purpose of the event. We don't have the context or the atmosphere. Oh, that's of a the very room. interesting point. Yeah, um, and so that I think um, makes us view them in a colder light because mm-hmm. we haven't got those uh, the energy of the room. So I just thought that was quite interesting. Yeah,
1: that is a really good point you make. If you pluck the performance out of context, you maybe don't get the whole value out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't get to see the audience's reaction as much in a video either.
0: Yeah. And you're not in the audience. Mm. So you don't have that energy of the people around you. Um, but the lighting, as you said, the sound... Um, makes w- such a difference, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, whether the music is linked to the performance or it's just music they like, mm. um, makes a big difference too.
1: Yeah, I, I oh, I just play my playlist and it has nothing to do with what's happening in the performance. It's maybe not the most designed choice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and also the other piece around watching performances on video is how the editing impacts the performance. So if, if you're in the audience, obviously you're going to see an entire scene start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, when we watch videos, sometimes they've been edited down. And it's interesting to see how the editing impacts our experience of the performance. Um, so on the one hand, um, we're not so much TK people. And so True. when the scene starts with a very standard TK being tied... For 10 minutes. For 10 minutes, with the rigor behind the bottom, very little interaction, which is surprisingly common in performances, we're less engaged. Mm. Um, But equally, if it's at the other end of the spectrum and it's edited down to sort of two minutes, three minutes. It can be frustrating. Yeah, it might as well be a set of still pictures. So the editing is another piece, uh, Mm. particularly in the uh, post-COVID world of video that can affect it.
1: And also fixed camera versus the camera person moving around and showing different angles, I find makes a big difference to the result.
0: Yeah, So then there's a piece around what we would call narrative. So um, is there a story to this particular interaction? So is it just a set of transitions and rote performances, uh, set pieces? Mm -hmm. Um, Or does it have some kind of concept um, or story from beginning to end?
1: A bit like an opera, right? Like in an opera, you have music, you have singing, but there's also a story... Going through the performance from start to finish.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh,
1: And also how readable is that story? Because sometimes we kind of get the feeling that the performers are trying to tell us something. Mm. But we don't quite understand why the cranes and the Teletubbies are having a fight.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think this is where we move into art, which is a whole whole nother piece around what is art and who's it aimed at and does it matter if you understand what they're trying to tell you as long as you understand something so there's some conceptual stuff there which I think probably isn't so useful to go into but often a story so this this idea of a narrative where they're, they're trying to tell you something will draw you in because we're interested in closing loops that's how our brains work and so if they give you some Unanswered questions at the beginning, like, oh, here's a guy in a Viking outfit, and here's a innocent looking uh, woman in white, then maybe you think, oh, what's going to happen? And it uh, opens question loops in your brain.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, We need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us and you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos, and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. Then there's all the kinds of props you can find in a rope performance, Maya, right?
0: Yeah, and we might Think about music there. We've talked about that a bit, but also costumes, accessories, even the type of rope. So sometimes you see fluorescent rope Mm. or the rope might add if it's particular colors or particular styles. Metallic
1: Um, rope, like all kinds of interesting things and mixing different types of medias with the rope, like you could have barbed wire, you could have all kinds of creative, interesting things. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. But again, if you're thinking about how to engage the audience, then a coherence between all the different props, um, I think is really important. If you just throw in a load of random, interesting things, then it's not going to bring coherence to the, the piece.
1: And sometimes minimalism is very efficient. Like sometimes it's just a very plain black backdrop with someone tying someone and you only have two people and some natural color robe and that's all of it and it's super beautiful
0: yeah absolutely you You don't need all of those things
1: you don't need the rubber chicken every single time
0: yeah yeah um other types of um what I might think about as props is bringing in other kinks
1: okay what for instance Maya uh
0: well the most popular I would say in the performances we've seen is wax
1: so much wax (laughs)
0: So there's something about wax, um, that makes it very popular to add into performances. Um, I think it becomes harder and harder, especially to a more jaded audience who've watched a lot of performances to make that wax interesting and exciting mm. if you've seen it 50 times. But that's a, a again, a subjective viewpoint. What do you think?
1: Uh yeah, I would tend I would tend to agree. I think the wax thing comes from the Japanese shows in The Happening Bars where um wax was introduced and became a bit of a mainstay. And I guess a lot of people have that in their psyches and when they want to do a Shibari show they immediately go to the wax.
0: And it's very visual. I mean, that's one of the things about it. You know, you're you're burning a person with potentially with wax and you can really see. Whereas another type of very popular kink to add to rope is impact. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be quite visual as well, but uh, the marks it leaves aren't necessarily as strong depending on what you're doing.
1: Yeah, and sometimes it's impact that is going to leave a mark and sometimes it's impact that is more... Acted Rather than actually done Yeah, okay,
0: very um, fair yeah.
1: Which, you know, mileage may vary On how, how, yeah, how you credible and interesting that is
0: Yeah, so again I would be thinking What does the addition of other kinks add To the story, to the narrative To the performance hmm. Sometimes I think kinks are added To make it more BDSM-y
1: um, Yeah, and which... depending on the audience The reaction to that might be different If you are at a Hardcore BDSM event and you do some wax with your rope, no one's going to bat an eyelash. But if you're doing it at a big vanilla hotel and people have never seen anything like that, the idea of dripping wax on someone might be super exciting to them.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So what kind of things do you, um, or can one, enjoy in a performance?
1: Mm, I think the value in a performance can be in one or more of the following. And once again, this is highly subjective. So like if, if you are a listener driving your car or resting on your bed, you might not agree with my taste. And that's okay. That's part of what makes this conversation interesting that everyone has different tastes, right? But I would say the value of a performance can lie in the aesthetics. So it's just something that's pretty to look at. Okay. Maybe the model is a very attractive person. Maybe. Or the rigor. Or the rigor. Absolutely. Uh, maybe the, just the whole thing as a set piece is really beautiful to look at and that is definitely value in that or it could be on the technical level seeing feats of strength uh of technical strength performed by the top or the bottom re- being really impressive is so many amazing bottoms in uh, rope performance that can do incredible things with their body and are like so strong and so flexible and So resilient. So that's definitely another thing you can find in performance rope. And then there's the emotion. And what do you feel when you look at that performance? And I think for me, that's a really critical part. Does it just like leave you cold or does it really grab you and draw you in?
0: And what emotions are you looking for from about performance?
1: I would say any really, but I want to feel something. If I'm watching the performance and I'm not feeling anything, then I'm not enjoying it as much
0: and that's a really interesting one because emotions come from you Mm -hmm. and it's not something they can necessarily control what it triggers inside you Um, so how does the performance create those emotions versus them coming from you I think
1: that's a really interesting topic and it also connects to the relationship between tops and bottoms in BDSM in general because there is this myth that a good top can create a certain emotion in his bottom. Like, oh, I'm going to do a scene where you're going to feel fear. I'm going to do a scene where you're going to feel joy and so on. But I think that's only true to a small extent. I think emotions do come from within us. And another person doesn't have a magic button to press to make us feel something. It's how we interpret something and how we react to something where it's going to create the emotion. So I think that's a bit where the alchemy happens. Mm the secret ingredient in the sauce. And that's why I don't think you can just write a simple formula to a performance that's going to elicit emotions in everyone.
0: All right. So what else might we enjoy in a performance?
1: I think originality has some value. If the performance includes things we've never seen before, or we never thought of, uh, that usually is something I appreciate. And does it bring us to think about rope in a different way and maybe give us ingredients or concepts we're going to bring into our own rope practice?
0: Yeah, it might give us ideas about positions or things that we can practice at home. Mm-hmm. And I would say have some care. So we, I'm going to think about the episode we did on recreating a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, this is recreating a video. Just be careful around trying to do something that um, someone who's essentially a professional uh, has done.
1: Yeah, Um, all the same caveats certainly apply there.
0: But for sure, um, that idea of, does it give us ideas for our own work can Mm. engage us. Um, All right. And so how can the performers, the top and the bottom or bottoms and tops, usually let's call it a top and a bottom. How can they add to our engagement?
1: I think as a top, you have a choice to make in the performance. You can either put yourself in the light and then you have to be interesting. You have to be interesting in the way you're dressed or in the way you tie or in the way you act and emote you, if you're very visible in the performance, there has to be a real interest to you or, and that's something you saw a lot in early Japanese works you can take the opposite approach and be the shadow puppeteer. So you're kind of like melding into the background and then all the focus is on the person who's in the rope and you almost disappear as the top.
0: Yeah, I much prefer um, the top-bottom connection. So the shadow puppeteer does not so much engage me at all.
1: It's true that you do lose a lot of human interaction if it's only one person performing as opposed to two of them.
0: Mm, mm. And what about the bottom? How can they add to our engagement of... uh...
1: I think in general, we much prefer performances where the bottom is expressive. We're seeing a reaction out of her uh, and we don't get the impression that she's a piece of wood that's being tied.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a piece around empathy and sympathy. When we watch a show, for some people, they're going to put themselves in the position mm. uh, of either the top or the bottom. And so being able to see the emotions helps us to to be able to do that. And I don't think that's always conscious. I think that's a subconscious thing a lot of the time. Uh, but that's an interesting piece.
1: Yeah. And uh, I guess, like you see with, Hollywood movies where the gender of the hero of a certain uh, film is chosen very carefully depending on the audience that is being targeted. Uh, Some people might react more strongly when they can identify with either the top or the bottom in the performance. So if you're of a certain gender, you might be interested in seeing performances where the person being tied is of that same gender. If that, for instance, makes it easier for you to mentally swap places with that person. Um, Okay, then we have the mode of interaction, I'm gonna call it, between the performers.
0: What does that mean
1: to you? I would like to see some kind of rapport between the people in the performance.
0: The infamous connection.
1: The elusive connection. Uh, And it can be all kinds of things. It can be tender, it can be sadistic, it can be dominating. Can be friendly and like they're giggling and messing around it could be, but I want to see something. Mm. Like if they look like they just have no interest in each other, it's probably going to do less for me as a performer. Yeah.
0: And we know that obviously if you're self-suspending, that's not so uh, relevant, but yeah, okay, if you've got true. a top and a bottom for sure. And one other thing I would know is if. Um, the top and the bottom are struggling. It's quite uncomfortable for the audience. So it's better to do something simpler and well mm. uh, than to try and do the magic thing that you then look uncomfortable doing.
1: By struggling, you mean fumbling, right? Yeah,
0: I mean not doing it very
1: well. Because I mean. suffering from the rope can yeah, be very absolutely. nice. Yeah. But suffering because you're not managing to lock your up line and it's taking you five minutes. And people in the audience just want to get up and come help you. And that's probably not the feeling you want to create.
0: So we've talked about this throughout, but what we bring to watching the performance is also very mm, relevant. So,
1: eye of the beholder, Maya.
0: Yeah, okay. So as your knowledge and experience level changes or increases, um, you're likely to pick out and be interested in different aspects of performance, right? Mm,
1: yeah, and as a bottom, as you get more experience, Maya, you can say, oh, what she's doing here or he's doing. That's really difficult.
0: Yeah, and same, obviously, with tops. Mm. Um One thing I, I kind of wanted to bring out here as well is this concept of appreciating rather than comparing. So you really need to remember that, A, this is a performance, not play, like we said at the beginning. Yeah. And although it looks like they're whipping them like a badass, it might actually not be the case. So don't try and do that at home.
1: And don't try to hold your play to the standards of what you see in performances, because they are not the same thing.
0: Absolutely. They're often professionals of some kind. And hopefully Um,
1: they've been rehearsed a number of times. It's not like they just, oh, it just happened on uh, a whim to do that 12 positions transition. They probably worked a lot to get there.
0: Yeah. And they may, the bottom may have aerial or circus or gymnastic backgrounds. Um, And I think body size is something else to add in here, Um, there's less variety in my experience Mm. of watching the more professional performers in the body size of the bottom, and that's not representative of the rope community in general. So don't get dispirited if you see that, appreciate rather than compare.
1: That's very true. So, Maya, do you have some examples for our dear listeners of some performers or performances that you particularly enjoyed recently?
0: Yes, we have several performances that we have watched more than one time Mm -hmm. and we very much uh, enjoy. Um, And I'm going to put the links to these in the show notes. So, the first one is Latna and Gishy. Mm -hmm. Now, if I've... If we say they've people's names wrong, then we apologize uh but this was at Moscow, not in twenty seventeen okay um and this was a kind of viking themed interaction, so there are costumes um there's full on music of Vikingness. there are Vikings projected on the screen at the mm. beginning, fighting
1: and there's a bigger sword
0: there's a huge sword <laughs> um and they um act they perform, so he is predatory and a a Viking that basically is um, pillaging a village, I would say, Mm. and she's the kind of innocent sacrifice.
1: So we're definitely in the strong narrative camp. Very
0: strong narrative. It has a theme, it has a story. Um, It ends in a very... I don't want to give it away because I want people to go and watch it, but it ends in a very dramatic... Way and the acting is really good. And um, I, I
1: believe, if I recall correctly, Latnor has a performing arts background, and it really shows in his presence on stage and so absolutely.
0: on. Absolutely, and as I say, even the makeup is is really. Um, great to watch. And the the rope. So, I mean, let's not forget that it's a rope performance. And the rope echoes the narrative. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things we perhaps haven't talked about that, how the rope fits in with the narrative. There's no point in having a story if your rope is completely disconnected with it.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that performance is a really successful one in terms of theater and creating something that's coherent and tries to do a lot with rope.
0: Absolutely. Mm Absolutely. Um, another one we wanted to talk about is Tifereth and Joan von Broek.
1: Oh, Tifereth, she's yeah. so good at rigging.
0: Yeah. Um, and this was at Rope Spirit 10. Again, I'll put the link in the show notes. And this is a very different kind of, uh, performance. So there's not the same, um, props or setup. The music really adds to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of, um,
1: musicality to the way the two people interact?
0: Hosier. I think there's a lot of Hosier in it. Mm. Um, and the bottom has uh, white clothes. And again, there's a sense of innocence and sacrificial nature. And that happens right from the first tie. So the first piece of tie, the bottom has her hands up to her face in a kind of prayer-like position. And Tifereth wraps the rope around. And so right from the start, you've got this kind of fear, anxious anticipation Um, And the Rigger's wearing black, Tifereth's wearing Hmm. black. So you've got that interesting contrast between them as well.
1: So a more abstract concept as opposed to the first one, which had a very down-to-earth story, but very potent nonetheless, right? Yeah,
0: and there is a sense throughout, if you watch it, that they're working towards something. That the bottom knows something is going to happen to her and she is um anxious fearful foreshadowing um, foreboding yeah yeah and honestly the fluidity the technical prowess and the connection between them is amazing it's Mm. it's a really tangible sense in body contact eye contact and the rigor and the bottom are both very much part of it
1: Mm. i wish i could tie like that
0: yeah i wish i could be tied like that and do the positions <laughs> the bottom does um, so that's another one what else uh, have we got uh,
1: we also enjoyed a few performances by Boris Mosafir. yes uh, we think he has a lot of fun setups uh, there's usually a very dynamic quirky aspect to his performances that make them yeah quite fun to watch uh, in the particular one he did with Taboo, there are a lot of drops. The rope is super dynamic. There's always something happening. Yeah. Never a dumb moment. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they do a lot of uh, athletic, circus type transitions, jumps, drops, whatever, pulling. The model every which way and if you want something with a lot of movement that's definitely one to look into
0: yeah and the kind of uh the rope that explodes exploding rope Mm,
1: yeah absolutely uh and then we have uh, um snm who did a really funny performance themed around bob the builder so if you don't know bob the builder that's a children's show with i guess a construction guy who like fixes stuff and has tools and he really like Takes it to the max and, like, without spoiling anything, the performance uh, involves an electrical bus saw at one point. And it's, it really runs with the concept and creates a coherent little uh, story that really works for me.
0: And all the props um, add to that as well. Mm, and absolutely. again, the final, um, the, the climax of the scene is very dramatic.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely worth watching. Uh, what about uh, Nina Russ and Sophia at Coven, Maya?
0: Yeah, so this is one of your favorite um, mm. performances. When when we first met, you sent me this, I think. And this has a very lovely connection between them, a very emotive bottom, um, a less typical um, body size bottom. So honestly, Sophia is a bit more normal. <laughs> I would say, if there was such a thing in her body type. Um, But also, she's a professional uh, bottom. Oh, she's she's, very impressive. Yeah, she's very impressive. Um, But this is uh, one to watch more in terms of connection, less in terms of story, and more in terms of um, having those two people interact with each other.
1: So that gives us a pretty good variety and a wide spectrum of examples of what performance rope can be, Maya.
0: Yeah. And of course, performance rope isn't all of rope, uh, nor really the most the rope most people practice. Uh,
1: no, but it's a really interesting niche within rope bondage and it gives you one more place where you can apply your rope skills, be you a top or a bottom.
0: Yeah. And it's worth appreciating on its own, but also as an inspiration for our play.
1: And I think the more we watch it and spend time thinking about it, the more we appreciate it. Absolutely.
0: So that's all from us at the Rope Podcast.
1: Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and come friend us on our FedLife page, which is Rope Podcast.
0: If you have a question related to rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FedLife.
1: If you like this podcast and you would enjoy more episodes, you can find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page.
0: Thanks for listening
1: and have fun tying.